podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that's often accused of loving the sound of its own voice and this week better. This week on Heart and Hand, it's the listeners' takeover, so if you don't like it, it's your fault. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I'm your host and this week I am flying solo because our plans for the season have gone somewhat awry due to uh, an unexpected event in Luxembourg a couple of weeks ago. So we kind of envisaged just kicking the season off and then that being it, you know, it would roll on. But of course, uh, now that we had this enforced break due to no longer being in Europe after the progress nightmare... It left us with a few barren weeks and uh, being a, a jolly kind sort, I said, well, if we get enough questions sent in, I'll do one of them solo pods that people um, seemed to quite like last season to, to basically to fill time to give you something to listen to for an hour this week because I'm that type of guy. I'm that type of host. But uh, I must admit, I thought that I was pretty safe because it wasn't long since we'd since we'd done one before, but no, but no, you, you, you sent in questions, so instead of sitting out the back garden in the middle of a heatwave, I am currently in the studio talking to you. Yeah, life's a shithouse sometimes. So, we've got loads and loads of questions, there's no rhyme or reason to them, I haven't sorted them into categories or anything like that, I'll answer them as well as I can, and then uh, hopefully there'll be enough to comprise a show. Uh, if not, you'll get what you're given and like it. So we'll start things off with uh, a question from Al Bundy Loyal. He says, if you could go back in time and watch Rangers any season before you were born, what would it be? That's a tough one. I think I'd like to have seen a team with Jim Baxter in it. So a team from the early 60s would be would be one that I'd be very keen on. Uh, the Iron Curtain defence, going back a bit further. Um, but I think it would probably be the second treble winning season under Jock Wallace in, in the 70s for me because I think that at that time Scottish football was really really decent um, had a great standard Scottish players were you know exported all around the world and uh, all around the world England that was the world at the time uh, <laughs> that, that's where players played because Dennis Law played in Italy but overall uh, we, we made up a, a big number at the bigger clubs down there, so that team had some some great names in it: uh, Sandy Jardin, John Gregg, Davy Cooper, Gordon Smith, Alec McDonald. I'd I'd love to have seen that side, uh, and of course it would have been a treble winning season. So that would be my one. Good question, Andrew Somerville. Which transfer excited you initially, but then left you the most disappointed? I think Oleg Kuznetsov, although that was. Probably, you know, for circumstances out with his control, he was never the same after his, his knee injury, which seemed to be obligatory for Rangers players for a while there. I really thought he would he would do his turn. Trevor Francis, strangely, I thought would uh, would be a really good player for us, but it, it never it never turned into much. More modern times, I think James Beattie. Not that I was expecting him, you know, to come up here and be Mark Hately, Mark Two, but I thought that given you know what we'd seen of him in England, the money we paid for him, uh, it gives lie to that old old statement about anyone who played in England he'd score for fun up here, because uh, he couldn't score for fun, money to prevent the death of a loved one. It just everything seemed beyond him. So that would be one. Dragon Miladanovic was another one just because of the big write-up he had. I hadn't seen him play. So that's the dangers of uh, living in an hype. And controversially, perhaps, Barry Ferguson's second spell because I was so excited when he was coming back. I had loved him in his first spell, um, particularly the season before he left. And I remember staying up to the end of the, the transfer window that night uh, waiting and hoping that Barry would resign, and he did. And he went on to have you know a solid enough second spell, but he never hit the heights of the first. And it was probably unfair to have those expectations of him. But yeah, I felt that the second time round wasn't 
wasn't as good as, as the first time, as it really is for anyone at any club, uh, if they've been a success the first time round. Gibby, was there any was there ever anything you heard from the Rangers board that you hoped never happened or glad that never happened? Well, uh, grammatically, Gibby, that one's uh, got me all of a tizzy. However, in terms of was there something I heard from the board that I was glad didn't happen, the sale of Ibrox um, would be one to Stadium Investment Group, a company owned by Gavin Masterton, who had a, a colourful, that's always a euphemism, a colourful spell uh, as owner, chairman, whatever, of Dunfermline, and uh, was one of David Murray's kind of cohorts from the from the Bank of Scotland. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty happy that that one didn't transpire. Uh, anything that well, Murray used to promise you a lot in terms of good stuff. Murray used to promise you the world, so the, there was loads come out of his mouth that was turned out to be nonsense. The amount of money he was going to give Le Guin, um wasn't even a fraction of what Le Guin actually got. Uh, that he was going to sign the French under twenty one goalkeeper who at the time would be Steve Mandanda, and who we actually got was uh, Lionel Letizzi, who was many things, but under twenty one wasn't one of them. Um, and the amount of players that he told us, you know, oh, we just missed it in him, you know, the, the the fax machine on deadline day just couldn't get it over the line. We, we had a top international class striker all lined up. So uh, whether or not those were actually true, the stadium thing was true, but uh, that one wasn't. And, uh, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Murray was genuine. He was just unlucky. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair there. Richard, how do we fit Rossiter, Jack, Pena and Nico all into the midfield? At the same time, we don't, um, because you've got essentially four players that want to play in the middle. So, unless you want to do that, the kind of John Barnes, Kenny Douglas dream team 4-2-2-2 formation, then I don't see how that works. I think it's any two of Rossiter, Jack and Pena. And then if you're playing Nico, you're playing them. Uh, a little bit further forward as part of the three um, and behind the striker so I don't think you fit all four of them into the side at once personally uh, RFCAFCA um, did you ever buy a drink? I've known you for years now and never once saw you put your hand in your pocket I bought loads of drinks, it was just for myself um, which was probably one of the reasons I ended up the way I did but uh, no I mean I, I did buy drinks but not for the likes of you I mean for you then people like that to be in my company then I think that you know picking up the tab is is cheap frankly an option for you to sort of lift you out your dreary little life um Joe Smith did Murray at any point consider us bears anything other than income similar question on Smith too actually Murray no uh Murray saw us as a necessary evil if you like, a, a pain in the arse, a bit of a nuisance, but it was required to give the club and therefore him the clout. I think that he saw us as ungrateful. I think Murray, in common with a lot of the, maybe kind of successful alpha male types, doesn't dwell on his failures, but has a tendency to expect others to dwell on his successes. And he could never get the the Rangers support would hold him accountable when things went badly as well as hold him uh, in high esteem for when things went well so i think that that was part of the part of the issue that he had and certainly the second decade of of his time in charge certainly then he very much just saw the fans as as a pain in the ass the attitude was always what is it now um, from you so yeah I, I never got the impression he was particularly fond of the support I think he enjoyed the clout that being the owner of a club our size gave him but I don't think that he ever relished dealing with the fans or he ever took to it um, with any particular enthusiasm but I think that that's just the type of guy he is I, I don't think he's one that um He's a leader. He's he's very much he sees himself as as a sort of guy at the front uh, who's who's driving on the troops and um, maybe doesn't really have time to worry himself with what the troops are fretting about on any particular day. Um, 
Walter, I, I think just like anyone who, who deals with a large customer base that you love them, you realise that you need them. But yeah, at times it can be a bit frustrating. But uh, I think Walter had you know, obviously much more of a, a, a relationship with the support. And I think Walter is very, very fond of the Rangers support. Uh, yes, I think at times he wishes, as all football people do, that we would just shut up and, and let the pros get on with it. Uh, I don't think that's an uncommon attitude among people who have worked in the game. I think that there are, there is that feeling that the fans are maybe you know reactive and don't take things into account over the long term, which you know I can I can understand I can understand that. Uh, but again, I think it's because in football they want to say, well, I've achieved all this, and we very much say that's all great. But then you lost on Saturday, and I think the immediacy of it and the fact that. You don't get viewed kindly at the time. You get viewed kindly after you've you've gone and after you've retired. And if you look at you know how Walter is considered now, whereas you know I was about for nine in a row. Most of you were as well. We were all about for the last run. There was always criticism. Um, I think as a as a football manager, you might have to learn to. You'll get your reward in heaven, uh, metaphorically. I think that it's once you stop. And people start to look around. You know, Man United fans last couple of seasons were complaining about Ferguson, whereas now he's he's a deity. But uh, I think that for for football managers in general, who if they want the, the the sort of uncomplaining credit there and then, it's not going to happen. I think that's one of the things Mourinho appears to struggle with when he gets criticised is that he often cites his record uh, as some sort of defence mechanism. And what I I think that football managers have to realise is that when you're getting criticised nobody is saying you're a bad manager or that your previous record no longer counts but what they are complaining about is football's a very immediate very in the moment sport you know very it's viscerally so so as a supporter that yeah you will look back fondly at the right time on successes but you're always guarding against current failure so yeah, but but Murray definitely Walter Walter less so. From Graham, uh, do you feel that the club is doing enough to combat the negative press directed at us? And what would you do if you were in charge? I never feel that the club is doing enough to combat the negative press at us. So that's that's just a personal feeling. I've never felt that way since I've been old enough to to understand what the what the question meant. I. I think the club could be far more aggressive. I think that they're getting there, but it, there's, there's a journey for them to go on. Uh, the people at the top of the club, there's a journey for them to make from being... There's a lot of people who, who were there who grew up in the dignified silence era and to go in the attack isn't natural to them. And there's still a... Almost, in older people, I think there's a reverence for the print media especially in the broadcast media, but the print media especially, the younger people don't have. Um, it doesn't have that status to us, uh, he said, optimistically classing himself as a, a younger person. But I, I think that they're realising that you can't build a bridge when the opposition don't, don't at any point want to cross it. And that attitude is slowly but surely working its way through. What would I do if I was in charge? I'd you know drop a hit list. I'd be looking at, at organisations who don't who continually don't give us a fair press and in fact go out of their way to to do the opposite. Then I wouldn't be just you know tacitly encouraging boycotts. I wouldn't be quietly hinting uh, that action should be taken. I'd be going for the jugular and again you know to to uh, commit an act of heresy. I think if you look at the way things like that have been handled uh, by uh, the the second club in Glasgow, I think that there's then an argument for doing so, for getting on the front foot, being aggressive, because it's not going to get any worse. That's the thing. That's the concern if you're in a situation like that. Sometimes you think, well, OK, we're here, but if we do this action, it'll get worse. It can't get worse. This is... You know, this is where we are. So that would be that would be my approach to it. But then that's maybe why I'm not cut out for this kind of thing, because my attitude would be, you know, fuck it. Um, I suppose the argument is some 
some men just want to watch the world burn. Maybe that's my my approach to press relations. So I don't think there can be anything constructive. And I don't think it's like the old days where you felt you had to advertise in the papers or get coverage or whatever. I think that you've got your all your own internal club mechanisms now for boy, uh, for bypassing sorry, the the traditional media. And I think you should be using that. But yeah, that 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 would be me. But again, that's you know why I, I wouldn't be sent to lead the Brexit negotiations because, you know, 20 minutes in, I'd be looking to pick a fight with them and then say, fuck it, set fire to the table and in the confusion claim a draw. Uh, from Stuart McCall, tell the Manchester story about Canal Street. Stuart is Ian McCall, who runs the Founders Trail, son. Uh, and I've known Ian for years and I've known Stuart since he was a wee boy and, and funnily enough, he's, he's recently become a, a father for the first time, so congrats, Stuart. But uh, I always knew... You know, when that boy was, was sitting with us in the nappy, uh, aged, you know, 14, I was like, he'll be a dad before I am. So uh, congrats. Although, of course, you know, I'd never, I, I find children little more than a source of uh, cheap alternative fuel at Christmas. So the Manchester story about Canal Street was there was a group of us in Manchester on that day. Uh, myself, Scott, Ian, Stuart, a um, couple of well-kept faces from FF. And we were wandering about and going, you know, through Piccadilly Square, had the obligatory huge carry out. We went to the Ritz where Mark had been running an event that day. And it was such a nice day that although we went to the Ritz for a bit, we didn't want to spend all day inside in a, you know, windowless nightclub kind of thing. So we wandered back out and everything was wanting a pint rather than, uh, rather than you know, to, to, to be drinking one beer out in the street. So the pubs were obviously, you know, Mental, you just couldn't couldn't get anyone this. Look, I know Manchester quite well, and I know an area where I can pretty much guarantee we will get into the pubs. But it might be a bit of a culture shock. Now, I went, yeah, yeah, sure. And I said Canal Street, and Scott kind of looked at me because he knew obviously what Canal Street was. And for those of you who know Manchester, Canal Street is the, uh, the, the shall we say, the more exotic area in Manchester um, and the alternative lifestyles, the LGBTI centre of Manchester so we headed up and sure as fate, it was, it was very quiet, lovely day, all the bars are, and they're huge big bars and they're, they're all lovely glass fronted things with, you know beer terraces and stuff I doubt beer terraces, pina, pina colada terraces I suppose, but uh yeah, so we decided we would go in there for a beer and then commenced a couple of the funniest hours uh, of my life where uh, it was... It's, uh, because we started kind of phoning our mates saying, if you come down here, you'll get a beer, and then word started to spread. So within a couple of hours, the place was packed with bears, but not the kind of bears that those clubs and pubs usually saw. I'd say the mix by about this stage was about 20% regulars and 80% Rangers fans and the regulars were great because they were all they were clearly phoning each other saying come down you, you need to have a look at this it's amazing and you had this mixture of sort of you know young athletic gay guys and, and sort of traditional old uh, you know Christopher Biggins types and the the banter was, was extraordinary I remember the, the bar we were in was called Queer subtle I know but uh we decided, or they decided, we didn't, that they would use, the, the the regulars would use the ladies' toilets and, you know, the Rangers fans could use the gents. So I'm walking down the stairs and in front of me is a wee kind of Rangers fan, uh, more, one of the more salt-of-the-earth types, baseball cap, Rangers top, tucked in at the back of his tracky bottoms. And in front of him is this big, you know, incredibly camp, outrageously uh, flamboyant uh, gay guy. And as we walk, we're walking sort of down the stairs to the to the toilets, and the the guy at the front veers off and towards the ladies. The Rangers fan goes, "Oh, big man, that's a woman's." And he said, uh, "Oh, I know, love, but uh, don't worry, I just don't want to make you feel awkward." And he put his arm around him and asked him to change me. Oh, for fuck's sake, big man! It's not like you've never seen a cocker before. So I was howling, and uh, yeah, I do wonder because a lot of bears that were there who didn't get tickets. They started asking the bar staff, "Are you showing the game?" And the bar staff, "Well, we don't show sport." And the the, the regulars were going, "Oh, put game up for lads." Uh, so they stayed there to watch the game, and I do wonder if the next morning there were a few guys that sort are of waking up going, "Oh man, 
don't know what I ate last night, but my ass feels as though it's been fucking rammed by red rum and then turned round and there's a dawning dawning realisation of it of it came through that they hadn't in fact gone for a curry. But uh, yeah, so that's the Canal Street story. Ignatius O'Reilly, uh, following the BTC result, oh Christ almighty, it's hard when you've not got Scott to pick up the slack. Following the BTC result, should the club formally rename Murray Park? Yes, absolutely should have done it as soon as all this came to light anyway. Um, suggestions I've seen, I like Struth Park, Cooper Park or uh, Edgar Park, I think in, in recognition of 250 episodes of free, high quality content, I think. Um, start a catch someday start up like a kickstarter or a, a change petition for that Ewan McQueen would you have sold Barry Mackay yes and no had he signed the new deal no as he didn't yes um, I don't know the ins and outs of it there are two schools one school that I've heard from inside the club is that he wasn't signing a new deal unless it was for really silly money and that he wanted to go to England and the other side coming you know, from his side was that he wasn't made to feel they particularly wanted him to sign a new deal. So I suspect the truth lies somewhere in the middle, not dealing with the the who's right and the who's wrong and the he said, she said of it. I would just argue that if you have to look at the actual facts, the facts where he was at a contract in a year and... I, I never think you hold on to a player unless you know he's in his mid thirties. I never think you hold on to a player with a year left on his deal if he wants to go. I, I've seen some kind of daft things like, uh, well, I I think we undersold him at, at half a mil. That's a a cogent argument and one I agree with. But you know, people saying, ah, oh, it's only seven hundred grand. Whatever, you can't think like that in Scotland. Uh, that's what got us into the shit the last time. Oh, it's only a couple of hundred grand. They all mount up. If there's money on the table that's going to walk out the door. Then you have to you have to take it. If I thought that Barry Mackay or any other footballer would give you a hundred percent in the last year of the contract, knowing they're leaving, then yeah, I'd go for that. But uh, I don't believe that they do. I don't believe that they can. I think subconsciously, if if they're, it takes a hell of a pro if their mind's made up to to then go out a hundred percent every week. So I think that given the way the situation panned out, it was the right decision. I would certainly not have been unhappy to to see him stay. I'll be interested to see how he's develop how he develops because I think he's talented, but I think that there are gaps in his game. Um, so, you know, we could easily easily be looking at another sort of uh, Johnny Russell type situation, or he could go on and and become a very fine player. You, you just don't know. Uh, he also asked, "Would you have Walter back as manager?" Discuss. No, um, we we have to get to a stage where we can't keep running back to to our da and say, Gonny, come and sort this bully out for us. So, you know, uh, would I have Walter as a threatening presence at the door room saying, you know, to to the players as they're going out, I'm going to be fucking waiting for yous? Um, yes. Then uh, we could have him there in, in some sort of um, frightening boss at the end of the level character. But uh, no, I think I think we need to move on. Chris asks... Any dealings with Barry Ferguson while on the trust? If so, what's your thoughts on the man, not the player? No, never had any dealings with Barry Ferguson. Asked um, a few times because he was captain. Um, if he would, you know, come and support, but the the code of omerta around anything negative about the club meant that he didn't. So no, don't know him at all. Um, can't comment on him as a man. Uh, as a player, I loved him. As a pundit, I think he is absolute toilet. And uh, I think somebody should take him aside and say that while it might impress your pals in the media when you constantly, constantly run down the club it kind of gets on the tits of the people that you are being placed in these positions to talk to we don't expect you to tell us everything in the Garden Rose the ally Derek Johnson but equally the um, looking for angles to attack the club side of things seems a bit much so that's that's my feelings but as as a person I don't know him and it wouldn't be fair to comment Scott Cameron, Pedro arrived early to help prepare for the new season, claiming it he didn't want. He seems to have increased pressure due to results. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was a gamble that he came in early. Had he, you know, done done a bit better, the results had been better, the performances had been better, he'd, you know, dug out results against Celtic, whatever, then he would be entrenched at the moment, you know, he'd be in a great position, so the gamble would have paid off. As it is, the gamble you know, didn't. A lot of people were a bit unimpressed by the 
by the decision and have continued to be unimpressed and to be fair haven't had anything to impress them yet and that's the problem the progress result was a disaster it was a, a humiliation you can't put it in context there's no placing it in the, in, in the right order because every excuse and it would be an excuse that you would put forward uh, it was a new team they had a new team oh our season hadn't started neither did them uh, we weren't fit yet they're part time uh, it it was so bad that it would have been bad for any manager. I mean, remember the the stick Walter got after after Kaunas. So it's a tough one, um, because I think Scott said it best last week. He's just now got no wriggle room. He he now doesn't have any more catastrophes in him because the fans haven't had anything to justify optimism at the moment, other than just. You know, he speaks well, he talks well, which he does, but we need results. And that's the only thing that's going to turn that around. So, in one way, he's in a good position because results will determine his fate more so than any other manager. He gets off to a flyer, then there'll be a quite, quite reappraisal. Um, but he has to deliver something to support the arguments that giving him time will, will lead to something. Um, you know, we'll see. Grant Hassan says, do you think Club 1872 are getting their act together and what should they be focusing on? Yeah, I think they've, they've uh, certainly had a good few weeks um, with the title stripping statement uh, being a particular highlight. Uh, what they should always be focusing on is the things that matter to the support. Um, as simple as that. And that should always be the focus of any fans group. And it doesn't matter whether or not the people at the top of the fans group agree that it should be the focus or not. That's why you are there. That's what you exist to do. So... I think that there is a situation at the moment in terms of the media. I think there's a situation at the moment in terms of other clubs and their constant cry-wanking about us where the club need to have a conscience and uh, a guardian. And I think Club 1872 can and and will do that. I know, I know people involved in it and I know that that's how they think as well. And again, it's just about getting out on the front foot and being aggressive and, and not taking not taking any shit. Uh, and always remembering as a fans group that it doesn't matter what anyone other than the fans think of you. It doesn't matter if fans of other clubs you know, laugh or hate you or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter what the media try to paint you as. You know, Fuck all of them. Just you get on with your job. Talk to the fans constantly. Find out what they're worried about. And um, always remember that, that that's your job. And it, it can lead to some strange situations. Remember with us... At the time, the RST, and we were very, you know, media finances. Uh, but you would get inquiries from uh, supporters about tickets and parking. And a lot of the time they used to come up in the assembly, which was Murray's sort of show, uh, kind of show pony of a fans group designed to try and put the RST off. And I remember one time a guy stood up and complained that the club hadn't supported one of the guys from his bus because he'd been arrested at uh, Tanadice for pissing in his own shoe and Martin Bain was at the meeting and Martin Bain went I'm not really sure what the club can do about that and the guy said but it was his own shoe uh, you know it's fair enough actually isn't it if you decide you paid for that shoe if you want to piss in it is that an arrestable offence but that was one of the few occasions where I felt sorry for Bain because uh, I said I, I turned around to him actually you know when the next question came up and went let's just get banners made up free the Tanadice one so uh, I hope that guy, I'd love to have been at the court case for that. I hope, I hope that he took that all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. He just stood there with his shoe. This is my shoe. I paid for this shoe. And if I want to piss in this shoe, then it is surely my right to do so. So uh, God, God bless you, shoe pissy man. Ian Andrew, is that a Celtic goalkeeper? Years ago, well, you, know, you let five in against the Ian, so uh, I always suspected do you think I'm wrong to hope our manager and players get it right? He, they can't be that bad. No, I don't think you're wrong. And you're never wrong to hope um, that, you know, you can sometimes be wrong to think it, but you're never wrong to hope it. Yeah, I agree. There's, I think the squad on paper, unfortunately, hasn't translated pitch as of yet, but I think the squad on paper is, is far better than it was last year. Pedro, again, I'm like you, clinging to the idea that he must have something about him and also surely somebody like Bruno Alves when assigned having met this guy if he thought he was a complete you know no hope or, or joke or whatever so you know time time will tell 
Ian asks, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage or Iron Fist? You will be judged in your answer. Correct answer is Luke Cage based on soundtrack. Jessica Jones, I liked, um, but didn't finish series because I uh, David Tennant in it and I hate him. Daredevil, I uh, couldn't get into. Luke Cage, I thought it was alright. Iron Fist, haven't watched yet. Uh, Ian, again, asks, Spears is simple, McNeil is a bigot in English, is myopic, but who's the worst journalist to cover Rangers? Um... Hard to get past uh, the the names mentioned because the thing is they had no interest at all in covering Rangers. All they have is an interest in using Rangers as a pinata to help further their own careers and to play to uh, a certain audience and their employers. So they don't cover Rangers in the the traditional sense. They uh, use Rangers um, to further their own agendas, careers, whatever. So, you know, they they are they are pretty bad. Uh Ewan Graham was another one. He was insane. I mean he genuinely was um mentally he was the one who suggested that um Rangers bringing out an on strip was responsible for Catholics being murdered in uh in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. So you know, how can you deal with someone who, who goes not only through that throat process but publicly commits it to, to print? Uh, Scott Franklin, when in Christ's name does Scott find material for the Sport and Integrity Award? I assume he makes it up. Um, no, he, he's quite diligent. Scott reads every, you know, football blog, magazine that you can get your hands on. The more obscure, the better. And uh, you know, I, I'm totally I I care that the Sport and Integrity is fifteen minutes for me to you know have a smoke and a piss and and just let him mobile on. So. Uh, I don't care if he does make it up, great. But but no, in all seriousness, he does. He he, he works pretty hard, and he he has more than he comes away with. That's why I give him so much abuse. If it's a really dull one, because uh, he must have he must have had four or five others. He's decided that week he's not going to he's not going to use. Ian, what did Murray get right? Overall, fucked us, and he gave his nine in a row. Chat uh, crowd are wrong. So does he have any kind of positive legacy? No, uh, for me, no, he doesn't because unfortunately you're judged on the way you leave. Um, most things, relationships, uh, jobs, positions, um, and I've said this a thousand times, I'll just do it again. It's a bit like saying Fred Goodwin gave RBS record quarters up until he collapsed the firm. That's the problem. Robert Maxwell did really, really well up until we found out that he'd stole all the money from pension funds that's the problem with Murray that the catastrophe he left was so big that it did undo all the good work leading up to that and for me that how can there be a positive legacy I think that it's the desire Rangers fans to romanticise issues that we go back and, and say well you know nine in a row and, and all that and, and it was great but again maybe just me being a, a miserable bastard and the, the people that I hang about would be miserable bastards now, I never saw Murray as the guy who gave his nine in a row I saw him as a guy that fucked up ten so that's you know that, that that's maybe just me that, that, that thought like that and I don't really like the idea of of the way that football fans can be quite so deferential to owners and whatnot. It's they they choose this, they get a lot from it, and they take on that responsibility, and they have to understand that the safety of the club is everything. It's beyond everything. And what annoys me about Murray was this was in the post. It wasn't something that just happened or sprung up on us which would have been different or if he'd been sat there uh, you know and, and just been unfortunate and you were sitting there going well there's a lot of sitting going on in the last couple of sentences if something had just arrived and torpedoed him torpedoed us fine you know you can feel sorry for him or you can question his handling of the situation but everything that happened to us was fuelled by him or was a decision taken by him? And then he knew what was coming from about 2008, certainly from the financial crash. He knew what the end game for Rangers was. And he did nothing to arrest that or to try and change his, to take us off that path. Nothing at all. So he gave his nine in a row. 
he also gave us liquidation and I'm afraid one more than cancels out the other for me um, Scott McKay if we don't start well how long will Pedro have depends I think an old firm humiliation would be one too many for the majority of fans if he does start well though who knows I mean could he win the first four games well and then we get a trouncing off Celtic so it, it all depends on how it goes but he needs to go off to a good start certainly um, but I think come October we'll have a much better idea of what the future holds Andy Graham uh, when you were at the RST and you got threats how bad were they and did they become more than threats no they never became more than threats uh, they ranged from the comical to the quite troubling yeah it was part of it uh, it was a long time ago now so it's not really something I dwell on um, I think it was just the dawning of the age of social media I think now it's much more common that you get this and I think if it was happening to me now uh, I would be much more Ugh, you know, it's just people firing off steam. But I think because then social media was was in its infancy, um, then that would be that would be maybe a lot easier to deal with, or a lot more straightforward to deal with. Uh, the funny ones would be when they would get your phone number as if they thought it was some sort of triumph, despite the fact that it was on the RST website. My phone number, um, people would kind of call you up, and the best ones were the ones who didn't withhold the numbers. I remember one guy phoned me up. And he said, uh, I know what I know what school your wains go to. And I said, uh, well, that's a fucking good trick, mate, because I don't have any. Silence. Aye, I know where you live. Uh, told him where I lived. Uh said, yep, that's that's the address if you want to, you know, send money to help me pay for these kids that are apparently uh, I don't know about. Um, so you got ones like that, and it, it was easy to swat off. And then when you... That was that was me. I was quite obnoxious and and abrasive to to people, so I understand why it would trigger anger. I, I wanted to a lot of the time, certainly non Rangers fans. Um, that was part of it. I, it was my personality back then. I like to think I'm more mature now. Uh, I like to think it. I'm not sure I can demonstrate it. Um, Andy Simpson, best season ever for me. Oh, uh, I love two thousand seven, two thousand eight because. We seem to have a game every fifteen minutes, and they all mattered. And okay, it ended disappointingly, but you know Manchester, the run there, uh, cup finals. You know, looked as though we were going to win the league. And there was always something every day was really exciting and interesting. So that was a great season. From a football point of view, um, I think that the eight and nine narrow seasons were great. Again, that same thing. Um, maybe without the quite constant hubbub around it, because it was, as I say before, message boards and social media then, so you, you didn't quite have the kind of day-to-day thing that, that came later where you were you feel with football now you can be talking about it all the time and submerged in it all the time, whereas it was a more difficult back then. But um, they they were good times from football times and you know we signed a lot of players and that was always exciting. So um, those those would be my, my picks. And I sort of consider the 89 or season, two seasons... Uh, as one, so maybe in my memory I fused them, and that's that's why it's so um, it's so popular. Alex Douglas, is it time Rangers made moves along with other top clubs and small leagues to form a new league with higher standards and less bullshit? It's difficult to make a convincing case for maintaining the status quo. I would agree with that. However, it would depend. You know, would Celtic be coming with us? Because otherwise, it would be akin to moving out of a really run-down scheme and then finding that the Asbo family from hell have moved with you. So I don't think that uh, that would be particularly much fun. But yeah, in, in case, I can understand why clubs like ourselves, Porto Ajax, or those are big-name clubs, want to maximise the TV. But would it? That's the question. Um, the reason that our TV leagues don't generate much income is because... Nobody wants to to watch them, unfortunately. So would that change? You know, would you would need it to be bigger TV audiences to do it. Maybe the combined thing would need more money for us. I I, I don't know. I just keep thinking it's it's one of these ideas. You know, it, it's the hoverboard. Uh, it's the jetpack. It just it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. It keeps coming up, and we don't seem to be any any closer towards it. Um, the Atlantic League, the self driving car. Of, of football league chatter um, Cambridge 
Blue fifty four says just how high do you think this goes? You have no idea. Blue knows Annie. You get to run RFC for twenty four hours with free rain. What three changes do you make, and where will LFC finish? I assume that that's Liverpool. I think it struggle this year. Um, signings are okay at a time when I think other clubs are making better signings. Top four would be a good ask because you've got to factor in European uh, Champions League sorry, football next season as well. And given the way that Klopp plays, his teams have been accused in the past of running out of steam at various points during the season. If that happens, it could hurt them. So I think top four would be a good achievement. I don't see them going any, any higher than that. Um, but if you look at it, you've got the six clubs, the kind of big six, are going for it all the way. Everton spending indicates that they want to make a, a a belt in there as well, and you'd assume that City, United will be stronger. Chelsea would still be the team to beat. Spurs will need to get over the the Wembley thing, which I think will be a bastard for them. Arsenal should be better, but they're Arsenal, so you never know. Um, if you were to ask me right now the top four in England next year and in no particular order I'd say Chelsea, City, United, Arsenal next season Um, even though I think Spurs are I think if Spurs were in White Hart Lane this year I think they would do better but um, who knows could be more transfers before that happens obviously and I get to run 24 at RFC for 24 hours with free reign what three changes do I make Um, Edgar Park I would uh, bring in a third kit based on a design of an old third kit from a few years ago and I would instigate a wide-ranging and fairly aggressive um, PR strategy. If you want to find out what kind of thing I'd be running, uh, go and go, go and look up uh, on Google. Go Google at Watergate the Plumbers. That, that's the kind of thing I'd be going for. Neil, has Lee Wallace regressed? That's a good question because it's a tough one to judge. How, you know, has he regressed from when we first got him? <sighs> Possibly, but you'd expect that given the level he's been playing at for a few seasons. So I don't know if regressed is, is the right question because you know when he was looking outstanding, he was doing it in leagues that were worse than the one that we were in last year and then last year he struggled but so did a lot of the side I think we'd be looking for a big improvement from him this season definitely and I really admire Lee Wallace as a captain and as a man but that I'm not a believer in this British thing that being the captain means you're invulnerable to being dropped and I'd like to see some competition brought in for fullbacks I do worry about us at fullback I think defensively Lee could be stronger I think his concentration isn't great and uh, hopefully that will improve playing with with better centre halves which um, you think he's going to be doing this season Stu, summer football to give all our teams, our Euro teams a better chance Um, um, in the winter when it's grim in Scotland, football is about the only thing you're going to match, it's about the only thing to keep you going but I do understand that because sometimes you're sitting in uh, you know, January, February and it's howling wind, pissing rain, freezing, sleet, and you're going, what the fuck am I doing here? Um, so I get that, but I I don't know. I mean, we should be able to beat teams from Luxembourg and Malta and whatever that team that knocks St. Johnson are from anyway. Um, and I think that summer football would be, I think, trying to treat a symptom rather than trying to treat the, trying to treat the illness. Bruce Melvin, what's your EBT starting 11? Uh, hashtag strike the titties. Um, ooh, Klaus, Newman, and you can all tell me if you know where where I've gone wrong in this in terms of whether they had one or not. Because uh, not being a Celtic supporter, I don't have that encyclope- uh, encyclopedic knowledge of the the EBT's era. Newman, centre halves. Frank De Boer, Big Marvin Andrews, love him. Um, right back, I've never had particularly good right back, so um, see Rexon. Um, midfield Barry, 
Arteta. Mm, I, could, I could be here all day, actually. You know that way your mind goes blank? It's like when you were a kid in primary school and your teacher said, draw a picture of something and the only thing that would pop into your head would be a fucking tree. Uh, so there the, used to be kind of 30 pictures of trees at the back of the classroom. Uh, midfielders. Um, 2010. Ferguson putting Naismith in there, he's shite. And Stevie Davis. And then up front, Kanija Arvaladze de Boer. So I think that would be quite a good side. Um, Grant, have you heard any rumours regarding Kenny slash other players calling Pedro a fraud? Uh, no, just the same rumours that you've heard. I haven't heard anything. Um, other than rumours I mean I've, I've heard stuff from people at the club but I've heard both sides if you like so uh, I, I I don't know the Rangers family will there be another Heart and Hand live pod since I showed you that demand was there that's poor bastard they obviously couldn't get to go to the first one and he's been badgering me and badgering me for another one and uh, I'm not particularly convinced the demand is there for one but he seems to think there are and want a sort of Twitter campaign to prove that it was so let us know if you if you would like us to do another one then yeah I mean why not um, the, the, the bitches will turn up while they're told so so long as I'm there we'll, we'll be good to go on on that one um, this comes from TLT11 in the lead up to our inevitable collapse, why was there no resistance from within the club? Everyone seemed to stay quiet. That's my perceived view. I was not on social media through most of the stuff I'd hear was through people, so I could be wrong. Deliberate and willful suspension of cred- of credulousness would probably be the best description. And Murray knew where it was going. And... If I was to be charitable, thought if he could play for time, he could maybe come up with something that would stave it off. That's the best case scenario. The other one was he was resigned to it and was trying to figure out his exit plan and White came along and he, he kind of hoped. Again, if you want to go back in history, it's sort of like the American withdrawal from Vietnam. At the time, they were talking about like a lasting peace publicly, but privately, they were saying... Kissinger and Nixon were saying, we be, if we get out there in the piece that we set up holds for a year, we can then say, ah, well, it wasn't our fault. And it's exactly the same with us, that Murray felt that if he could be out of dodge long enough, I think he'd hoped that White would take a wee bit longer to fuck it up, um, or to do what he did, but I don't think he ever envisaged that uh, it wasn't going to end in tears. I think he knew fine that it was going to. Um, the rest, I think, it was either hoping against hope that something would come up um, or deciding to ignore a lot of the evidence and just listen to Murray when he was telling people that it was going to be okay. And you have to remember as well that for players, the the wages kept getting paid. You know, For everyone under Murray, that was one thing. The wages kept getting paid and uh, it's easy to dismiss this chatter round about and just say, ah, you know, never mind, it's the usual stuff. And to kind of put your head down and get on with it. So and and if you're a player, then you know that you're you're gonna get your money by hook or by crook, and if not, you're gonna go to another club and get your money. So they don't really bother. I mean, I remember Walter saying after the League Cup semi final against the Johnson that you have no idea how bad it is, and that and on the bankers running the club, and that's as close I think anyone came to breaking cover. But I don't know. I think there was a sense of um, we're Rangers, it can't happen, and. I remember going on Real Radio about 2010, it wasn't long before I stopped it, and I said to any Rangers fans out there who don't you know, think that uh, the club could go bust, was the phrase I used, um, I said they'll always be a Rangers, but two words, Leeds United, and the shitstorm I got for that, where people can, how can you compare us to Leeds United, it's never going to happen to us, you know, blah blah. So, I think there was a, like I say, a a willful and understandable refusal to accept that things were as bad as they were and that if we continued on a path the outcome was what it was going to be so that that would be my my take on it 
Um, with regards to the this is also from TLT alone. With regards to the perception of modern players being ignorant, who was the best player you got to meet with regards to interaction with yourself and fans? Nacho Novo was great. He was always very good. Marvin Andrews, um, and one of the reasons why I loved him, couldn't do enough for you. Stephen Davis was a very very nice man. Um, comes across as just decent and genuine individual. Um. So you know that those were the main one. I, I spoke in the last time we did this, but Sandy Jardin was 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 a gentleman, and I, I really enjoyed dealing with him. But uh, yeah, the, the, those were the those were the main players. They they really got it and they they enjoyed it. And of course, Bomber who's just a great all round great ranger, great guy, and uh, someone I've I've got a lot of respect for and a lot of time for. And we will wrap this up here, John Taylor. Um, <coughs> So do you ever regret making yourself such a high profile supporter? Well, um where's a high profile supporter? I don't uh I'm not sure I quite uh I know a lot of people wouldn't agree with you about that one as well. So that's that fans chief stuff and people don't realise that you know, you don't say to the like when it's in the paper, you know, fans chief David Edgar said it wasn't me. I didn't say hi. I'm David Edgar, fans chief. Um, it, it's just the shorthand. It's anybody who, who kind of forms an organisation or claims to speak for. I mean, you see it right now with this title stripping bullshit that the record in particular are very keen to run. That you know, fans groups and then fans chief, and it's a guy. And you look at it deeper, and it's basically. They've got less members than the average Rangers supporters bus carries to a match. So it's just shorthand, but people do take that the wrong way. Um, I, I, you know, I try really, really hard in life not to do regrets because there's nothing I can do about it. It's done. It's, it's in the past. There's stuff I would change if I could, but I can't. So you just have to make your peace with it. Do I regret doing it? No, because somebody had to. And um, it's like the old joke: the guy looks up at God and goes, "Oh, why me?" And God looks down and goes, "Well, why not you?" And that that was always my approach to it. It was like, "Yeah, fine. Uh, if if uh, nobody else wants to do it, I'll do it." Was I the right man for the job? That's a, that's a different thing. Maybe if the the you know the RST or the sporting general had somebody who was a wee bit less, um, I'll be polite and say aggressive or abrasive. Is a good word for it. I was yeah, I was was one of I wanted to pick a fight with, you know, opposition fans, and I wanted I I, I think Rangers is the best of everything, and I know that there are people out there who don't, and shouldn't because it's not their club, and I want to belittle and mock and take the piss out of and thoroughly defeat these people um, for having such stupid notions and such a lack of respect for our institution. So that's always been my, my sort of approach to it. And, you know, as I get older, I realise, well, that maybe wasn't the best approach. And, you know, you catch more flies with honey than with a big fucking stick. But I'm a big fucking stick guy. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there were times during that that it was a pain in the ass. It was, and it would overshadow everything: your life, uh, your work, um, your home life, especially. Um, and it, it took up all your time. I mean, it really did. My phone was like attached to. I was a total kind of mobile wanker back then because it was constant. And you know, I'd be out somewhere for the evening with my wife, and the phone would be going constantly, and I'd have to go and take calls, and then, and she's kind of looking at you, going, "You're not making any money at this. We're not getting any richer because of it." And in work, it would be exactly the same, you know. And I need to say, I need time off at short notes to go to this meeting. I need to, you know, and I'd be on the phone all day, emails, all the rest of it. So, um, but I wouldn't have had it any other way if I hadn't done that. Then I would have been. You know, it's not like I'd be running IBM if I hadn't, because that's just not who I am. I'm I'm more interested in football and music and Staffordshire Bull Terriers and you know the the, the stuff that I I'm into than work. Um, I remember an old boss of mine at the time saying, oh, "You're the top performer in here, and you're only giving me about forty percent. You spend all the rest of the time on that bloody football thing." 
<clears throat> and if you gave me everything, you know, you you would be flying. And I said, well, do you think I don't know that? So just I've got no fucking interest in this. I don't want to be, you know, like you, one of these cunts that drives an Audi and fucking thinks, you know, worries about his golf swing. That's not who I am, you know. I, I, I'm interested in the reissue of the first fucking five Ramones albums and, you know, about how Rangers are playing on Saturday and about what this country written about is in, in the Daily Record. And it's just different personalities. So... Uh, no, I, and I got to do some cool things, you know, I got to, to, to experience some amazing stuff um, and the good far outweighs the bad, which I do it again, no, you know, if somebody come and ask me tomorrow, would you get, the answer would be no, um, unless it was, you know, there really was something I could do that would be useful that nobody else can do, then yes, of course I would do it to help the club, but uh, I highly doubt that there's any situation that matches that criteria. Uh, I, uh, you know, th- I'm certainly not unique. I certainly don't have a unique talent <laughs> set that nobody else can replicate, and there are better men and women than me for the job um, out there. So... Um, yeah, at times it could be a bit of a pain in the ass, but then equally I got to do a lot of stuff, got to fulfill a lot of ambitions, got to meet a lot of really cool people, got to write a book, um, which was an ambition, got to still get to do this podcast, um, and I know that, that people say, well, you know, anyone can do a podcast, which is true, but at the time... You know, having come off the RST enabled, it opened a few doors in terms of production companies and then it gave us a sort of a wee hand up in terms of getting a listenership. So all of that kind of stuff helped. So the 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 good far outweighed the bad in terms of, of overall doing it. And the people I met, I met, I made so many friends from then. And not to be too wanky about it, maybe it's because I just watched Game of Thrones, but the other kind of people, you know, the friendships are last because you're kind of forged in battle with because you went through all this shit with and you went through some real stressful times with them and they were there for you and that's how you know that, you know, and you and you back the way so you you find out a lot about um, people like that in those situations and, uh, they're, they're, you know, it was the, to quote a line from the, Sim- from the Simpsons, it was the best of times, it was the blurst of times um, and... It was an integral part of my life, you know, that, that a lot of stuff that happened to me or that I did or that shaped my life. People who don't understand football or who go to a match on a Saturday and that's it won't understand, but the level of, you know, support of people who listen to this, that how much you're into it, you'll get this. It does affect your life, every single aspect of it. The Rangers, colour and touch and effect and relationships and you know jobs and all the rest of it sometimes come secondary and that might sound fucked up it is fucked up if you take a step back from it but it's not going to fucking change it's you know what we are it's it's who we are it's so much a part of my identity and your identity um, and that's why we get like this when people come along and talk about title stripping and all the rest of it because it's not them attacking a football club or it's not them attacking something we have an interest in it's them attacking us and they know they're doing that and that's why when people go on about the new club thing to you they know what they're doing they're deliberately pressing a button with you to try and get a reaction because they know how important it is to you and that to me was what made the reaction to Rangers travails from people to their friends, not, you know, as a club to club thing, but to their friends, that visceral hatred, I thought that was what made it so wrong uh, and so unforgivable and people who did that to you should just cut out your life because they don't care about you as a person. If they did, they would have understand they would have understood the pain that this was causing you. And if you see a friend is causing pain, you don't go and stamp on them. And that's what people tried to do to us. So I had fun, I had a lot of pain and I came through a completely changed person from when I started doing it and now, years later, I'm happy, settled, get to sit and talk to you guys every week, which is, I know I joke about it, but it's an absolute privilege that uh, and an honour and it does genuinely still blow me and Scott and Martin the rest of the way when we get the listener figures in and we're like, oh my god. Um, or people come up to us or people turn up at a live event that, that stunned me so yeah um, no um, 
I suppose the best way to describe it then would be uh, I have often bitterly regretted it, but never for very long. And uh, it's a feeling that will that will pass because then my club, it's your club. It's the best club. It stands for something. It means something. It endures. It survives. Hopefully soon enough again it will thrive. And we did it together. We saved it. We brought it forward. We brought it from the darkness. We've we've got it to this point. And fuck everybody else. Those that don't get it, fuck them. Those that do, do you want a drink? Thanks very much for listening. My name's David Edgar and I'll talk to you again this time next week. Cheers. Bye. Podcast Network.